Bibles. Matt read Philippians 2. And we're going to look at Philippians 2 this morning. We're going to look at a few other passages. So if you have a Bible, turn there. And, uh, and we're going to jump in because we are talking about uh, really the things that we value as a church. And, and with that comes um, you know, some questions, really. It does spur some questions. So, uh, so many of you have been very gracious. And those of you who don't know, my grandmother passed away this past week. And, uh, and I'm getting ready to go up to her funeral. Uh, I leave tomorrow. I'll be back Tuesday night. But it, it just got me thinking about just, just life, right? Just, just life. My, my grandmother was 91 years old and, uh, and uh, just, just had lived a, a full life. She and my grandfather were in ministry for a lot of years and a lot of great things. But uh, as I've had the opportunity through the years to uh, speak at different funerals and different situations... I'm always reminded of, of just that tombstone, right? You, you think of a, a tombstone, you think of the dates that are on that tombstone, and you've, you've probably heard something along the lines of, you know, the dash that's represented there. You know, right? The, the dash is really what, what life is all about and life that you've made of it. Uh, but here's the question that I really want to lean into for, for us this morning, and, it, and it's this. Um, what... What are you hoping, at the end of it all, to be known for? What are you hoping, at the end of it all, to be known for? Because honestly, like, that's what we're talking about as a church. When we talk about we are Cornerstone, we're talking about exploring the values that we have as a church. That, that's what it becomes, is this, is this is what we want to be known for as a church. But, but the reality of it is... We will be known for it as a church, corporately, when it happens in us individually, right? So think about it from that perspective. Is we're, we talked this morning, like this morning we're going to talk about exalting Jesus, but, but the reality of it is for all of us in the room, it, it really doesn't mean that much to us corporately unless we're doing that individually. And that's what makes it so significant. So several years ago, this goes back about five or six years ago, we were gathered around a table in the conference room and we were talking about values, the things that we care about. And we had, we had been working for a lot of years on, you know, kind of how we say what we say. And we're in the middle of this conversation. And one of the elders at the time, he kind of speaks up and he says, you know, it's just, it's almost like you got to put those two things together because we had this list and then we had this list. He's like, you just got to put those things together together. And so we did, and we came up with what we believe are just five values or five things that we care about. Five things that we want to be true of us as a church. Five things that we call our values. And the first one is really foundational to the rest of them because it's about Jesus. And so the statement goes like this, because we believe it's all about Jesus, we strive to exalt Jesus. Now, this statement actually says a lot. You might look at it and you think, well, of course, that's true. We're in a church. Well, not every church thinks that, by the way, just throwing that out there. But we do. But not only do we, we believe this, but what comes with that also means is that we don't believe that it's all about you. Right? So, so that's like the flip side of it is when we say that we believe it's all about Jesus, then we're, we're saying that it's, it's not about me when we talk about it individually. It's not about one person. 
in terms of somebody in the church. It's not about like somebody who's been at the church for the longest period of time. It's not about someone in the church who's given the most money. It's not about someone in the church who might have something named after them, although we don't have that here at Cornerstone. But really what you've got to just reconcile in your heart is when we talk about Cornerstone for us, like we're talking about this thing is about Jesus. It's his church. He's the one that's building it. He's the one that's established it. And it's not about any one of us that's in the room at different times. And so you got to get to that place of going, but that means it's not about me. Because what happens in church, and I don't know if you've seen this, but what happens in a lot of churches is you, you show up to the church. This is mostly second service people here, but <laughs> you show up to the church and we enter into conversations, and I hear this quite often, it's like, well, you know, the church that I'm coming here from, my church back home, my church here, my church here, my church here, and I, I, I really hold it in, but what I want to say is, you're not at that church anymore. You're, you're, you're at Cornerstone. And while I, I appreciate the fact that your church may have done it this way and that way, and I'm not saying that we have it all figured out and that we're doing everything right, I, I don't believe that. But this is who we are, and, and what happens is there's people, and you, you, you show up, and this isn't just at Cornerstone, this is in a lot of other churches, and, and they want to try to change the culture. And, and I want to say, like, these are the five things that we value. These things are very important to us. And this first one is of utmost importance to us because because what happens is we, we have different we're in different conversations at different times and we all we hear different feedback right different things that people say along the way and they, they want to mention like you know well they don't like the the music um, they they don't like you know maybe the translation of the Bible that you know we use or they don't like this and they don't like that and and what I want to say and I'm saying right now is that's okay it's not about you. It's about Jesus. And if Jesus tells us that he doesn't like the song, now that makes a big difference to us, right? I'm just throwing that out there. Like, we, we, go, through, we go through the music, and there have been times, and you can ask the, the team about this, there have been times I'm, I'm working through the songs and I'm listening to them. Sometimes we sing them, and I go back into a conversation, and I say, you know what, I don't think we should sing that song, and here's why. Maybe it's got some inaccurate theology or doctrine, those types of things in it. We just try to say, look, we want to be true to what's in the scriptures. But the, the statement says, because we believe it's all about Jesus, we strive to exalt Jesus. And that's really what we want to be about as a church. Philippians 2 is a great, great, great passage, by the way. Matt read part of it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trick the team because I'm supposed to start in verse 5. But I want to back up all the way to verse 1 in Philippians chapter 2. So the first four verses won't be on the screen, but they're so important when you talk about, uh, when you talk about community, when you talk about the church. And he says this. He says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? If any comfort from his love, any fellowship in the spirit, are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. And I love the way that he says that. Because that, that, that right there means like you got to lay it down. I don't know if you see that, but that's, 
that's really what, what needs to happen. If, if verse 2 is to be true of a body of believers, if we are going to agree wholeheartedly, or, or, or as Paul would say in another translation, it says, you know, then make my joy complete by accomplishing these things. But in order to love one another and work together with one mind and purpose, it means I've got to lay down some selfishness that really has a tendency to take root in our hearts. So i got to lay that down. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Let's just stick that on the refrigerator back at home. <laughs> right? Verse 3 is, is like the, one of the hardest verses for us to live out. Not just, not even talking about a couple hundred people that are in a room together. I mean, you're talking about there's a few people that are under one roof at home. It seems impossible to live this out, right? Husband and wife, it's just the two of them at home. And it's like, this is hard to not be selfish. Stop trying to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. And he says this in verse 4, before he turns to our example, that's what he gets to in verse 5. He says this, don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. Think about it this way, right? So don't look out for your own interest. Of course, everybody's going to at least take care of themselves. At least you should. I mean, we were on a, a mission trip the, this past week with our team from Costa Rica. And, you know, Austin's taken groups of students to camps. And sometimes you've got to encourage these, these young students to take showers. You know what I'm saying? Like every once in a while, you just got to remind them that you've got to take a shower. It's always good to shower. That's my, my philosophy with that. But that's what we do, right? We take care of ourselves. We, we teach our kids, right? And I, and I don't know that they're really grabbing hold of it yet but you know what we brush our teeth every morning when we get up you know we take a shower as much as we possibly can but you take care of yourself you feed yourself you clean yourself like all of those things are true that's that's part of what you see as the example of you know taking an interest in yourself and then he he turns it and he, he says but you also have to look out for the interests of other people you have to pay attention to other people. You have to want to serve other people. And that becomes part of the values as we continue to go along the way. But you've got to stop just making it about yourself because it's not about you. And what Paul does here in Philippians 2 is, man, he, he turns our attention. right? He turns our attention in a way that is so needed and necessary for all of us. And this is true personally as much as it's true corporately. Because he gets to verse 5, and as Matt's already read this, but I'm going to read it again. He says, you must, you must, because see, you can't, you can't get to what he's talking about in verses 1 through 4. You can't get to not being selfish and stop trying to impress others. You can't get to being humble. You can't get to thinking other, of others and per, helping them and pursuing their interests. You can't get there without the example of Jesus. Not in the church you can. So you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus Though he was God, and we, we sing that, right? The song we sang, that first song, we know you by a thousand names. 
And you deserve every single one. Although he was God, he did not think of equality with God, equality with God as something to cling to or hold on to. What that means is that when you, and when you really look and you study, and you, like if you go to Revelation, you just jot this address down, if you go to Revelation chapter 4 and there's this picture of, of John and what he experiences in this vision that he has in Revelation, right? Verses one, or chapters 1 through 3, he's talking to the church. There's these letters that he's writing to these seven churches of Revelation. But when he gets to chapter 4, he has this picture of what worship in heaven is like. And when he, when he really turns that, that image for us, it's like there's these angelic beings that are gathered around the throne, throne and they're calling out to one another, worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb. And they say it again, and they say it again, and they repeat it, and they change it up just a little bit, and they say it one more time. But there's that picture, and that's, that's what you've got to think of when you, when you hear what Paul is writing about Jesus, Right? Although he was God, he did not consider equality with God something to hold on to, which means he was willing to let it go. Right? Jesus is the one, I don't know if you really understand this, but he's the one that is, is worthy of all the glory and the honor. He's the one like um, heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool. And he could have just held on and said, no, I will not show up in human form. Like I'm, of anybody that has the right to say like I'm better than that, Jesus had that right. And that's what Paul's helping us to understand. Is that although he is God, he chose to lay all of the glory, all of the adoration, all of the worship that was due him to lay it aside and show up here. And, I mean, let's face it, like, we're a mess. I mean, we are a mess of a people. But he chose to do that. He gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave or a servant and was born in, as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. It's almost like he just fast forwards through all of Jesus' life right there and gets to the cross. Never mind all the things that happened along the way, right? Sort of the dash that we even talk about on the gravestone, right? The, never mind that. I mean, he just gets right to the point of the cross. He says that he died, not just that he died, but he died a criminal's death. And like I said, he's just skipping over the fact that, you know, I mean, he was rejected by his own people. His own family thought he was crazy. Um, his own people were like, man, this guy is nuts. And, you know, then he appears before Pilate. And he's beaten. He's mocked. He's spit. And I mean, all this stuff is happening to the one, to the one who alone is worthy of our praise. And the really remarkable thing is that he is the one who willingly gave all of it up so that he could show up here. So he goes on, right? Therefore God <clears throat> elevated him to a place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven 
and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I love that. There's a couple reasons I love that verse. One is because I know, and I hope that you know this too, that one day, one day, even though it's not today, one day, every person is going to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. Isn't that cool? Uh, like, I think about it. I, I mean, I've known some people through the years who have, who have, like, they've ridiculed and they've made fun of, you know, like, what I believe, and they've made fun of Jesus. And in, in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking, one day. <laughs> I wish for you it were today, right? I wish for you it were today, but there will come a day, one day, when you are going to acknowledge. For some, in that moment, it's going to be too late. But they are still going to acknowledge him as Lord. So I love that. So let's walk through a couple of things, right? So what does it mean uh, to exalt Jesus? Because that's what we're talking about. Because we believe it's all about Jesus. The church is all about Jesus. Then we as a people want to exalt him. So what does it look like to exalt him? And there's two things I just want to look at uh, real quick. And they come from a couple different passages. The first one is this. We exalt Jesus by giving him his rightful place. By giving him his rightful place. So if you're in the book of Philippians, just flip ahead maybe one or two pages and turn to the book of Colossians. In Colossians chapter 1, um, you're going to see in verse 15, and in that video that, that Cassie shared, you, you kind of got a little glimpse of what is, what is in Colossians chapter 1. But it's such a, a beautiful piece, and it's actually this gets to be one, some of my favorite verses in the Scriptures. And I'll show you why in just a minute. But he says this in Colossians 1, verses uh, 15, and we're going to go through like 22 or 23, even though it only says 20 in my notes, okay? It says this, Christ is the... Uh, visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Uh, let me just throw this out there. Like, you know, there's a couple of things that you got to realize of what this means. I remember uh, a long time ago, I was sitting in a room with, uh, with uh, Pastor Miguel. We were down in Costa Rica. This is about seven or eight years ago. And we're, we're talking with a gentleman who's a Jehovah's Witness, right? And he's, he's holding on. I, was, I looked at him. I said, you know, you know who the Apostle Paul is, right? And he's like, yep, they love the Apostle Paul. And I was like, but, but you know that the Apostle Paul, as he wrote these letters, he was saying that Jesus is God. Like he was saying that. And that's, that's really what you see here is that Jesus... Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. So G- Jesus would say it this way as he were walking in this world. He says, if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. That's the way Jesus would, would say it. So if you wonder what God is like, go read the Gospels. Like, if you wonder what, what, what God would say to you, go read the red letters. Right? In the Gospels. Because that, that's what we're talking about. That's who, who Jesus is. He existed uh, before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things that we can't see. Such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. That's, that's actually what he would allude to in Ephesians chapter 6 where he says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood 
but against principalities and powers. Those, those things, that's what he's talking about there. He existed before, verse 17, anything else, and he holds all creation together. And I love this. One of the reasons that to me that this is, is so important is because here's what I want, I want you to know. Is that if, if Jesus, and I believe that he is, so maybe the word is since, since Jesus is strong enough right, to hold all creation together, then he is strong enough to hold you together, right? When you feel like everything, everything in your life is crumbling and falling apart, right, and and it happens, he's got it. He, he, He has it. Like, he has it in his hands. It may not be exactly what you want, but I'm telling you, it's exactly what he wants, because that's, that's how powerful he is. That's who he is. And he's holding all of creation together. You think about it that way. You think about the position, and I don't know how much you look at this stuff, but the exact position of the earth to the sun and the moon and all of those types of things. If we were a little bit closer to the sun, we would be burned up. If we were a little bit farther away, we would freeze to death. Like We are positioned just so perfectly. And that's just one thing. You start looking and you start studying the human body, body and the anatomy and like the makeup of the different systems that we have, and you're like, wow. He's, he's created all of those things. Christ, verse 18, is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is the first in everything. For God in all His fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through Him God reconciled everything to Himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. And that's what we get to. This is why I say I want to go a little bit farther, because this becomes like one of my favorite parts of what he writes in Colossians. He says this in verse 21. This includes you who were once far away from God. That, that's, that's all of us, by the way. That's all of us. So he's reconciled through the blood of Christ. God has reconciled the world, individuals to himself, right? Which is true of you. Guess what? You didn't reconcile yourself to God. He reconciled you to himself through the blood of Jesus. That's why our value for us is that it's all about Jesus. Because without him, we're nothing. Without him, we have nothing. Without him, we are nothing. Without him, we don't get to have a relationship with the Heavenly Father. Without him, we don't get to pray. Without him, we don't get to be a part of God's family. It's all about Jesus. All about him. So you were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. And some of you are sitting there, but I don't have any evil thoughts and actions. Yes, you do. Right? I know. I know what some of you think at different times, right? Like something that you see a news story, and I know you, those things are flashing through your mind. But you were separated. He says this in verse 22. Yet now, 
He has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And this is what you need to embrace, right? This is, this is one of my favorite parts. And as a result, he has brought you into his presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. That's pretty cool. Think about, think about what he's saying. Seriously. He's saying you were once an enemy. You were once separated. You were once far off. But he has brought you near. He has brought you into his presence by the blood of Jesus Christ. And not only did he just allow you to enter into his presence, right? That, like that could be enough. It could just be enough to say, okay, come on. But he takes it a step further. And he goes, not only am I going to welcome you into my presence, but, but I am also declaring that you are holy and that you are blameless and that you are without a single fault. That's what's awesome. Because I know who some of you are. <laughs> and I know who I am. And I know that I, a lot of times, am not holy. I am not blameless. And I am with a lot of faults. But because he sees me through the blood of Jesus Christ, I am seen and declared as holy and blameless and without a single fault. That is awesome. That's why, like, that's why it's all about Jesus. It's why it's all about Jesus. Now, I'll say this too. This is the other part of it. This is one of my pet peeves. I have some different pet peeves. I don't know if you have those. One of my pet peeves is that we live in a world where there's a lot of people who believe in God. And can I just tell you, like, that's, that's like maybe a baby step. But you've got to get to the cross of Christ. If you, don't, if you don't get to the cross, if you don't get to Jesus, like you don't get to have a relationship with God just because you believe in God, right? You get to a relationship with Him because you've been ushered into His presence through the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for you. Like, that's it. And so, you know, I, I get into conversations at different times. I'm sure you have as well. And when someone starts talking about how they believe in God, believe in God, just push them a little bit more on that. Like, hey, what do you believe about God? Well, you know, I believe that he loves everybody. Sure he does. Okay, that's cool. What about that? Like, how did, how did he demonstrate his love? And you're, they're going to go, oh, I'm not real sure. Well, we know that God demonstrated his own love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Did you know that? It's Romans 5.8, right? you you got to get people to the cross of Christ. It, it can't just be like, well, I believe in God. There's a lot of people in this world who believe in God. But God loved you so much that he sent his one and only son to die on a cross for you. you got to get them to Jesus. 
Exalt Jesus by giving him his rightful place. And, and that, that is, that's, that's the, the first place, right? When, when Jesus would say in Matthew twenty two thirty seven 37, in the verses following, he says this is the greatest commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself, the second one. And that's, that's something that was taught way back in the Old Testament. But you've got to give Jesus your rightful place, his rightful place. Think about it this way. I was, when we were down there in Costa Rica, I was talking with um, the church down there. And it's, it's the idea of a throne, right? And we don't, we don't really have kings uh, in our country. We have, we have a president that's in the Oval Office, but we don't have kings. But, you know, a king would sit on a throne. And what happens with a lot of us, if you would just imagine with me for a moment that like this becomes your, the throne, right? A lot of us, this is how we view life is we want to be on the throne, don't we? Like, I mean, I'm a control freak. Anybody else just a control freak? Like one of the hardest things about being in Costa Rica is I didn't get to drive, right? <laughs> and, and I like to drive. I like to be in, in control. The pilot on the plane wouldn't let me fly it either, but... Um, <laughs> I am a control freak. Most people I know do like to be in control, even if they're not willing to admit it. Most people do like to be in control. Um, and, and that's what a lot of us are like. Like We want to sit on the throne of our life, and we want to be in control. But if you want to talk about exalting Jesus, what, what it really looks like when you talk about giving him his rightful place, what you see in Colossians, what you see in Philippians, what you even would see in Ephesians is is that Christ would have first place. In fact, the, the King James Version would say, in, in one of the ways, one of the words that they use is, that he would be preeminent. And what that really means is that Christ would have his rightful place in your life, and so you would, you would allow him to sit on the throne. And not just that you would allow him to sit on the throne, right? Like, that's cool, but now, actually... You're going to acknowledge his rightful place, right? Because that was kind of the whole king thing, isn't it? Like, the whole king thing is that you acknowledge this person is king. And when you will acknowledge Jesus as king of your life, right? That means you're letting him be on the throne. And he's calling the shots. And you are surrendering to who he is and what he says. Like, that's what it means to give Jesus his rightful place, but what it means is that you've got to vacate the throne. You've got to remove yourself. You've got to allow him, right? Because that's his place. Allow him to sit there and rule and reign over your life. And that means like when you're reading the scriptures and you see things in the scriptures that you don't like, but you know is the right thing for you to do, you do it. Because why? Because Jesus is on the throne. That's, that's what it means to give him his rightful place. In the church for us, when, when he talked about it in, in Colossians and Philipp, uh, Philippians and Ephesians, he would talk about it too. Peter would write it in 1 Peter. We're talking about Jesus, right? He is, he is the head of the church. He, he is the head of the church. And so as, as a group of community of people you know we're gathering together but we are ultimately acknowledging that Jesus is the head of the body of Christ 
It's not, it's not a pastor. It's not a group of elders. It's not staff. It's Jesus. It's only Jesus. It's just Jesus. And you can just know, I mean, like, that's one of my things is that this is his church. It's not my church. There comes a point where I walk away. I don't know when that is, right? But Jesus doesn't owe me anything. He doesn't. And I, I joke often with our staff, there's a day I'll just come back, my backpack will be over my shoulder, and I'm just going to walk away. Because it's His church. It's His church. It's not mine. I get a great privilege to lead it in this moment, in this season. But it's His. And I'm just a steward of it. So, um, giving Him His rightful place. Let's go to this next thing. And then I got one challenge, and we're going to try to try to wrap some of this up here. Um, exalt Jesus by giving him the rightful recognition. And this is what it looks like. Uh, go to the book of Hebrews with me. Um, book of Hebrews chapter 1. By the way, if you, if you don't know Hebrews, man, this is such a good book uh, to dig into. But um, the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who wrote it, uh, but the writer of Hebrews is just going to lay it all out there from the very beginning. Uh, because the point that he's trying to make in the book is, is he is trying to exalt Jesus. He's trying to help people see, like, Jesus, it's all about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus, and it's always going to be about Jesus. And it didn't matter what your background was or your foundation was. I mean, he's just trying to get you to this place. In Hebrews 1, he starts out and he says, A long, long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to, his, to the son as an inheritance. And through the son, he created the universe. We just read that a little bit in Colossians. The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God, and he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in a place of honor uh, at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. This shows that the sun is far greater than the angels, just as uh, the, name of, the name God gave him is greater than their names, right? So he goes on and he talks about how uh, Jesus is, is greater, like he's greater than the angels. He talks about Jesus being greater than Moses. Like all of those types of things is what the writer of Hebrews is getting to. And what, what he's talking about and why we're talking about it is it's about giving him this rightful recognition. Like this is who he is. This is what he has done. And we are recognizing that in the way that we live our life right? That's one of the things Cassie was talking about in that video. Like, worship's not just about the songs we sing. It's about the way that we live our life. And when you live your life the way that he's told us to live our life, that's recognizing who he is and his place of authority over you. And the question becomes, are you recognizing Jesus in that way? Right? There, the, the, you, you go on, if you, look at, if you look at Hebrews and what he says, right? He goes on to talk about the angels. For God never said to any angel what he said to Jesus. 
You are my son. Today I have become your father. He goes, he goes on at one point. He starts talking about Moses because um, the Jewish people would hold Moses in high regard, right? And we do that at different times, don't we? We elevate different people to places, guess what? They don't need to be elevated to. Because there's only one that is worthy of that. And his name is Jesus. He alone is worthy. And the way that you exalt him is that you recognize who he is. And you recognize what he has done. And you recognize, that's what he was saying at the end of Philippians chapter 2, right? One day, one day, every knee will bow. One day, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that's one of the things that we value the most. We don't, we don't want ministry at Cornerstone to be built around an individual. We don't want anybody to hold on so tightly to go, well, this is my ministry, and this is my thing, and my... It's not. And, and if, if you begin to speak like that, then you've, you've missed the whole point of what Paul has been teaching all along in his letters. Is that we are, we are really holding loosely to these things. But we are holding tightly to who Jesus is. And what he has done for us. And what he has promised. Because we believe that at the end of the day, that's what makes the biggest difference and really sets us apart as a people. So here's the, here's the challenge, right? And, and it looks like this. Philippians 2, get to verses 10 and 11 there. And I would say it this way. is One day, you know this, one day everyone will exalt Jesus. But you should start today. Some of you, that means maybe for the very first time, that you're going to give him his rightful place in your life. And that you're going to vacate the throne and you're going to put Jesus there and you're going to worship him as Lord of your life. For some of you, maybe it's, it's giving him the rightful recognition. And maybe you, you've just never really done that in your life. And you've just always, you know, you've, you've heard about Jesus, you've talked about Jesus, but you've just never recognized who he is and have said it. You know, that's one of the things Paul says in Romans chapter 10, that if you, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that's what we're talking about with rightful recognition. Like you're, you're recognizing who he is. And what he has done for you. And maybe today's the day that you need to do that. And I'm going to close. I, I want to close with Psalm 150. And, and there's a reason why. So we ended our series somewhere in the Psalms. And we get to this last one. And, and I will be honest. Like worship is a big part of what we do on Sundays. Would you agree with that? It's a big part of what we do on Sundays. And sometimes, I mean, let's just be honest, like, 
you just kind of sit back and you read the words and not necessarily singing along. And I understand that. Sometimes the, the, the song is new. Maybe you're not real familiar with it. And so you're, you're just maybe reading it and you're worshiping that way. And I understand. Some, sometimes maybe it's that, man, you just had a rough morning. But that happened to somebody today. Like you just woke up and it just wasn't your day. And maybe you had a fight with someone in your house and things didn't go exactly like you thought they were going to go. And like you showed up here and, you know, I mean, that was, that was it for you. Like I made it and I get it. Been there, been there a time or two in my own life. But what if, what if you would pause for a moment and catch your breath? And you could just really think about everything that Jesus has done for you. I mean, he gave up all of heaven, all of that adoration and the glory that was really due him. He gave up all of the angels flying around and singing about how great he was. He gave up all of that so that you as an enemy of God could be reconciled to the Father. He did that for you. He didn't have to. He didn't have to. But he chose to. And so what if, I get it, what if after you get here and you've caught your breath, Maybe you can get to that Psalm 150 where it just says, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heaven. Praise him for his mighty works. Praise his unequaled greatness. I can get behind that. Right? kind of tracking with it? I mean, think about that. Praise him with a blast of the ram's horn. Not sure about that. With the lyre and the harp. Praise him with the tambourine and uh uh-oh. Man, I'm so glad that Travis dances on stage. Praise him with strings and flutes the clash of cymbals even the loud clanging of cymbals you didn't know that was in there right some of you are like ah that music's so loud <laughs> there's some there's some earplugs in the back and by the way don't stop sitting in the back of the room like I'm just telling you all, I don't know if you've noticed, but the speakers above me are pointed at you if you're in the back of the room. <laughs> These folks right here, some of the wisest people in the room. <laughs> but here we go. Let everything that breathes sing praises to the Lord. You're here. You made it. 
The morning may not have been what you thought it was going to be. Your life right now may not be what you thought it was going to be. But you made it. And you've got breath in your lungs. And so maybe it's time for the church to just praise the Lord. Right? Because that's... He's worthy. He's worthy for you to lay aside all of the other stuff and for you to come and just say, you know what? This, this really is all about Him. So we're going to stand. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to pray. And we're going to sing a song, kind of a prayer. Turns into our song of praise. We sing to him at some point during this song but it's this prayer that Christ would be magnified in us so let's sing that as we close our time together because why because we believe it's all about Jesus we as a people are going to strive to exalt Jesus because he alone is worthy. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for your plan of sending Jesus into this world, the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But today, Lord, all of us in this place, those that might be viewing online today, we are declaring today, in this moment, that he is Lord. We're not going to wait till one day. We're not going to wait for someday. We're going to do it today. Because we are oh so grateful for his sacrifice for us. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Let's sing together.